16 and Luke 2. Luke 2 first, briefly, and then we're going to move to Luke 15. You know, a few years back, we, um, we dropped, Sarah dropped off our, our kids, at a, our oldest kids at a swim practice without realizing that they had canceled swim practice. Um, because, you know, who needs to make sure that your eight and nine-year-old are safe and secure? In a, I, I'm, I'm going to get to, I, I've done it too. So that's our, where we're going. It's not Sarah. They were fine because we oftentimes drop them off and they run inside. And, but in their waiting, they were brave. Uh, there were some tears, uh, yes, but, but they were brave. They, they, but they didn't also just, just sit there and just wait. You could imagine, right? What, what, what could they have done? Suggestions. Found a phone, found an adult. It took them a little bit of time to actually get to that, but they, they eventually did um, because that can be a little bit intimidating as well just to go find an adult and tell them that your parents have left you. Um, so that's what they did. They were brave, but they, but they, didn't, just, they didn't just sit. And, and I, I don't ever have my phone on ring mode, and so I didn't actually answer the phone. And even if I did, and I don't know the number, I'm not going to answer it. Um, I haven't for years. I haven't heard my ringer for years. Um, I turn off all notifications. I have no idea if you text me until I look. Um, and I believe Sarah did the same thing. She just simply didn't know they were trying to call. Um, and again, I actually did the exact same thing a few weeks ago. I was, I was with a men's small group here on um, Monday nights and totally forgot to go pick up uh, the big kids from swim practice. And so they sat with their coach. But of course, what did they do as well? They told their coach that, hey, my parents aren't here. And so the coach sat with them and he works for Rottler Pest Control. And so I kept getting what I thought to be sales calls from Rottler Pest Control. Uh, was not. It was their coach trying to get in touch with me. Um, we, we, we seem to have this idea that waiting patiently just means sitting quietly. And that's not true. Lamentations 3.25, I, I love the order of this. It says, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. The Lord is good to those who, who, who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. So in this in-between time, Christian, for one who believes and knows that Christ has come, we, we celebrate his presence with us and what he accomplished, but we also continue to, to, to seek him. And we need to know what we are seeking. We are seeking a loving God who desires that, that all people would come to him. That's, that's who we are seeking. A loving God who desires that all people would come to him. Let me read us Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 12 as we begin. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. 
and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Let me read that again. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. We're going to stop there. We need a loving Savior, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. We're, we're told that we have a loving Savior, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. All three of these titles are intended, Savior, Christ, and Lord, to reveal his greatness. Savior, he will save. Christ, um, Greek for the word Messiah, the Messiah, a title, Lord. He is God in the flesh, Savior, Christ, Lord. This is how Jesus' life begins with this declaration over him that he is a savior, Christ the Lord. And notice that this good news, this good news of great joy is intended for all the people. That the heart of God is to save all the people. John 3.16, as we've already had read for us once by Josh, Ooh, uh, sorry, I always forget who, who likes the Josh and who likes the Joshua. Joshua read this for us. The most inclusive verse, verse in the totality of Scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him, come all ye people, whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. What the birth story tells us is that you and I not only need a Savior, we need a loving Savior. We didn't just need God to rescue us. We needed God to rescue us and then desire to bring us into his presence. To want to, want to be with you. And so this good news of great joy is good news of God's love for all the people. Another kid's pickup story. I had to um, pick up a couple of kids the past couple of weeks from school for sickness. And when I do pick them up, if you're a parent, you've done this. Um, I pick them up, I get them home. I give them meds. I give them water. I give them hugs. I ensure that they're comfortable, that they have blankets, food, whatever they need. Why? Because I don't just want to rescue them from school and then leave them on their own. I rescue them because I love them and I want what's best for them. I'm beginning here because I, I, do, I do believe this. I believe that one of the greatest tendencies that we have as Christians is we tend to 
to cheat ourselves out of the benefits found in being rescued by not only a Savior, but, but a loving Savior. That you take the saving, but not the loving Lord. And, and in doing so, you miss out on the love of God. You're, you're a, a good person who sort of white knuckles your way through life, thanking God for being saved, but, but, but also maybe believing that a part of your saving is maybe your own doing. But you know li- very little of the comforts and the rest found in his loving presence. And so what I want to do for this morning's focus and emphasis on love is take us to Luke 15, because we see this beautiful picture of God's love. It's one of my favorite passages, so if you'd turn there with me, I'd appreciate it. This is the picture of our loving Savior. little intro here. Luke 15 has three main characters. A younger son, he's the one that we typically call the prodigal son. You've heard the story. An older son who often gets missed. And then the father. The father is actually mentioned 12 times in the span of 20 verses, which sort of gives us a clue here as to who is the main character. The main character is not the younger son, the prodigal son. The main character is the father. And the entirety of the story is intended to revolve around the father. Many think that the word prodigal means like um, rebellious runaway. It, it does not. That actually means wasteful. So the prodigal spends and spends and spends until he has nothing left. For some context here. The picture of the prodigal is one of waste. He, he wastes his inheritance. He wastes his relationships. He wastes his life on things that have no real, lasting, longing, eternal value. And in this story, we need to see something. We need to see the composition of sin before we can see the love of the Father. And it involves two pieces. The first is is a desire for what we perceive to be freedom or independence. That's the first piece of sin that we see here from the prodigal son. A desire for freedom or independence. We can trace this back to the garden. We've been working to detach from God and his loving care ever since. This is why someone who doesn't ever want help, who never asks questions, and who has it all figured out is the most dangerous person. This person is operating out of the sinful nature that got us into this mess to begin with, a longing for independence apart from others and apart from God. The son doesn't want to be in the father's house under the father's guidance and care and protection. Pastor J.D. Greer says that the essence of sin is revealed by how you spell the word. The middle letter of the word is I. Sin is when I want to be in the center. I want to be in charge, not God. I want to make the rules my way, my desires, my glory. 
The young man thinks, my ways are better, I'm the wisest. The second element of sin in this text is an insatiable search for pleasure. The son doesn't want to wait for his inheritance. He wants it now. And so the father gives it, and the young man runs off to find himself, to find the fullness of life, to find happiness. We see that despite this young man's desire for independence and despite his insisting on his estate now, wanting his dad's inheritance and all that his dad could offer more than the dad himself. Despite all of that, the love of the father doesn't end. And so our first point out of this passage on God's love is God loves you when you wander even when you wander. Let me read for us the first several verses. And he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. He divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And then he squandered his property and reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed in the pods, with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. This again traces back to the garden. Adam and Eve sin, and then they wander away from God. And one of the most profound passages in all of Scripture, simply based on the fact that cosmic treason had just taken place for the very first time, Adam and Eve hear the sound of the Lord walking in the garden, and they hide themselves. And it tells us that God calls out to them, Adam, Eve, where are you? He comes to them in their shame and in their sin and in their wandering. Something to note about the prodigal son is the father does not respond how most Jewish fathers in his day were supposed to respond. In Deuteronomy 21, the law actually says that a son that squandered inheritance and left his father should be stoned to death. Family and inheritance was everything, especially land inheritance. And so if you walk away from that or express ungratefulness, you could be executed. Not suggesting that was the right thing to do, but that's what we read. If they chose not to stone you, though, there was a ceremony called the Kazaza in which they declared the rebellious boy outside of their family, that you're no longer welcome. I'm going to use this with Tyson next time he doesn't listen to me. Don't make me Kazaza you, right? I'm not actually not going to do that at all, but that would be horrible. You're not welcome here, you know? Something to note about, um, about, about 
what happens at first here, though. Things seem to be going so well for this young man, don't they? He, he found it. He enjoys everything that money can buy, the freedom and the excitement and the pleasure. Then the money ran out. The friends left. Then comes the brokenness and the loneliness and the isolation. And so what is left to do but to beg? His new life ends with him taking the lowest job in all of Israel, feeding the pigs. He's so hungry, he begins sharing food with the pigs. Wondering, how in the world did I get here? I don't know about you, but I'm a Justin Bieber fan. And um, I never thought I would actually reference Justin Bieber in a sermon, but I'm a big fan. No, I wouldn't buy tickets to his concert. If I was invited, I probably would go. Um, I find his story to be fascinating. Any other Bieber fans at all? His music? Yeah, thank you. We see quite a few hands here. I do, I find his story to be fascinating. The fame, the loss, the wandering, the returning, the wandering, the returning, the pursuit of God and all of it. He explained recently, I had a lot of money, clothes, cars, accolades, achievements, awards, and I was still unfulfilled. He actually wrote a song called Lonely that explains his journey. One of his lines is, everybody knows my past. You know the son is thinking here, I can't go home. Everybody will know. They're, they're all going to know what I've done, what I've squandered. They're going to find me out. Can I just ask this? What if we operate out of this posture without even knowing it more often than we realize. In other words, what if most of your life is actually spent hiding who you really are because you haven't really believed the gospel? You haven't really believed that no matter what your past has in it, it's not too far gone, that you can't out-bad God's mercy. I picture the father here, home, waiting, wondering, wishing, wanting for his son to return. Knowing that the choices he's making are, are, are damaging, destroying his life, possibly damning. And you know the father had an inkling that this was likely going to happen. The father likely concluded he would never see his son again. But a part of his love is also a willingness to let that person go. Because to control the son and to force him to stay would have been control. He knew his son needed time to realize his great need. And so he would have been praying that his son's life would be spared. The father loves his son even when his son wanders. Secondly, God loves you when you return. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have, have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger, feeling regret. 
Here's what I'll do. I'm going to arise and go to my father. And I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. One thing you may not notice in this story, it looks as though in this story, like the son gets up and decides to come home, come home on his own. But if you read the story in context, it's actually the, the third of three short stories. The first one is about a lost sheep, and there's a shepherd uh, who had 100 sheep, and one went missing, and they went and found the other one. The second one is about a woman with 10 coins. She loses one. She finds it, and I love this. She calls all of her friends, and she says, come, all, come over, let's party, because I found the coin that I was missing. And then this story. <clears throat> which tells us this, that his heart is to find those who have gone missing and who are wandering and who are lost. And at times, church, he may do so by putting things in your life that lead you back to him, hard things. For this young man, what led him back? What led him back is what seemed to be brutal circumstances. that God actually used to lead him back into his loving presence, into his father's presence. Which proves that it was never about the inheritance to begin with, but about the presence of the father. That's what this son is most longing for. And here's the father's response. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And he ran. A couple of things here. First of all, the word compassion here is the Greek word splagma. It means from the bowels. The same is true of God. God has this, this guttural, guttural instinct to leap up and to extend mercy to his kids when they return. One of my favorite authors, Dane Ortland, he writes, His is a love that cannot be held back when he sees his people in pain. And not only does the father come to the embrace and to the rescue of his son, he expresses the love he has, he has always had for his son. Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this. My son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he is found. And they began to celebrate. So that's the younger brother. It's half the story. The other half is found in the way the father engages with the older brother. The son who had, who had done nothing like the younger brother had done. The older brother was proud of his loyalty, of his obedience, his morality, his goodness, his righteousness, his religiousness. Fill in the blank. And so it would be easy for us to look into this and to hold the younger brother's sins against him. How could he do that? And to maybe kind of call the older brother to repent of his pride. You know, you're a bit of an arrogant legalist. You might want to kind of work on that a bit. 
That's how we respond. But God doesn't begin there with us. Remember what Romans 2.4 says, his kindness leads you to repentance. This offer would stand for the older brother as well. God loves you when you're too proud. Now his older brother was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I've served you, never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed a fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The older brother here, church, actually has a lot in common with the younger brother. Both want the father's stuff. Neither wanted the father. So remember the context here. Who is Jesus sharing this story with? The very beginning of Luke 15, it tells us in verse 2, and the Pharisees and scribes were complaining, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So this story is Jesus' response to that. Think about Luke 2 again. For all the people, good news of great joy for all the people, a Savior. The Pharisees hated that message. They were the good ones. They were... They were the ones doing it right. They were the ones pleasing God. How could you come on the scene now and say you're a savior for all the people? And then think about what got Jesus killed. That he is the fulfillment of all they believed. I am the one. The Messiah, Savior of the world, scribes, Pharisees. You hate me, but I'm actually whom you're looking for. I'm the one who comes for the lost sheep. I'm the one. Your works are worthless apart from me. <clears throat> the Pharisees don't understand God's love for needy people because they didn't see themselves as needy. Like the older brother. Listen, church, the gospel is just as much for the good boy as it is for the bad boy. As Christians, we cannot operate with good, bad categories anymore. We, we, we seek to smash the heresy that says, that sinning rebel over there really needs Jesus. Because when we do, we subtly put into our minds a certain validation of self. My self-righteousness. We, we also subtly communicate to our kids that those people need forgiving. 
And we miss that the totality of the cosmos has rebelled against a holy God and every square inch and every living soul needs his mercy. Thanks be to God that he loves me when I am too proud because I need that every single day. I may not be eating with the pigs, but I sure am entertaining my pride every hour. And that leads me to our last point and our hardest point to understand and to come to grips with. God loves you when you choose not to receive his love. He still loves you. He loves those who, cho- who choose not to run into his love and embrace. And he said to him, son, again, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead. And now he's alive. He was lost and he's found now. End of story. No resolution. Tragic. The story never resolves. We don't know what came of the older brother in his pride. All we know is the father left his love on the table. God's love is overflowing and never-ending, but, but he will not force it on you. You can stay outside of the house if you want. But what he wants from his heart is to be a savior for all the people. To bring every living soul home and to wrap them into his arms and to pour out mercy on them and to put a robe on them and put a ring on them. That's the heart of a loving father. But just like the father waited, mourned, Every morning, I envision him sitting on his porch, looking out on the horizon, hoping that his, that his love and comfort, that the son would return to his love and comfort and safety, and that those things would lure him, his son, back into his presence. And so my prayer for us this Advent season is that God would reignite. I've been saying this lately like... Um, there's just, there's just no bad news in, Christian, in Christianity. It's an invitation, an open welcome invitation into the loving presence of the Father. Whose glory we walk on every day. And so my prayer for this Advent season is that God would reignite this picture of God in our minds and our hearts. That we would remember the gospel that Jesus came into the world to save sinners, to redeem for himself a people, to show his great love for all the people. And he waits, he waits, he waits patiently for our return with open arms. Paul writes to Titus, I'm going to end with this, when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared. He saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. you pray with me? Heavenly Father, you, you always offer 
an unending supply of your kindness and love, even when we refuse it. You don't offer this to us because we are deserving, because we are worthy, because we show great religious potential, but only because you're a father of mercies and a God of all comfort. Father, you've saved us for eternity, and so we would ask this morning that you would keep us guarded from believing that there is something better. Keep us also guarded from believing that we can please you by being good, by saying and doing all the right things. Rather, that you have secured our perfect and complete inheritance in your kingdom by the blood of Jesus. And because of this, we will always find you welcoming, merciful, kind, and generous. We pray all this this morning in the name of Jesus. Amen, amen, amen.
Church family, go with this blessing for the road from 1 John 4, 16. So now we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in him, and God abides in him. Go now in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father. Shepherds passing through have found a king.